2: From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We need a president
0: who will close our southern border today.
2: We need Donald Trump. We need a president.
1: We need a president.
2: President, oh my God. who will unite our country, we need Donald Trump.
3: Oh, my
0: God. That's... Who, who was that and what was her gripe specifically? Well, exactly. <laughs>
3: you're at a Trump rally. I assume you're pro-Trump. And now Tim Scott, black senator from South Carolina who is running against Trump, has decided to endorse Trump rather than his co, co- uh politician from South Carolina his governor who appointed him Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, if I had to guess, I think the oh my god, had to do with uh,
0: Tim perhaps working a little hard to be the great speaker. I don't know, but
3: uh more on yes, the way people have fallen in line behind Trump, DeSantis getting out of the race endorsing Trump, Tim Scott endorsing Trump, Vivek was not a surprise, but Uh, All the House leadership, half so far of the Republican senators have already come out and formally uh, endorsed Trump. I mean, that's amazing. Right, right. Well, I
0: have this mental picture of, uh, you know, politicians know which way the wind is blowing. Well, I have this picture of like a hurricane force and the palm trees are getting bent in half. And the politicians are saying, I can see Which way the wind
1: (laughs) is blowing?
0: (laughs) Yeah, we can too. Uh, Anyway, uh, the inevitability of Trump now is just its foregone conclusion. Not sure what Nikki Haley's up to, but I would like to have a brief memorial service for the candidacy of Ron DeSantis, and I've got a different angle than I think you think. I think you think. So uh, stay with
3: us. Yes, and we talked about what the Trump phenomenon is and what, explains it peggy noonan did in the wall street journal we'll hit you with that again later this hour it's it's pretty dead on and it makes sense to me but uh you said something oh DeSantis. uh that that's the the biggest failure in the history of politics certainly dollar wise it is Mm -hmm. and um i was on this zoom call yesterday with a bunch of political heavyweights mark halpern anyway just thinks it was 80 percent him being a bad candidate that's interesting, and he
0: would know better than I do. I wouldn't have percent, uh, put the percentage that high. Uh, that's absolutely part of it. Uh, but again, I want to keep my powder dry, and um, and we'll get to that at the bottom of the hour, including that Peggy Nuna stuff. I kid you not, I think it's absolutely brilliant, and it's something I think all of us who are desperate for a return of sanity can, can kind of rally around. Uh, speaking of sanity and insanity, it's... Almost just interesting to me at this point in my life, because I've been kicking around long enough studying this stuff, but I've got to admit, there's 10% of me that's still horrified and disgusted when I come across what appear to be sentient homo sapiens (laughs) who believe in communism. I, I know. I fully accepted that there are some people so... Effing stupid and or unwise, you can't help them. And it's okay. That's always been the truth. They're not my responsibility. Uh, I just have to accept it. But then when I hear them talk, I'm astonished slash angered anew that somebody, given the weight of history, could still advocate for a system that has killed more human beings than anything in the history of mankind.
3: And I don't know about you. I know what you're leading into here. Um, but uh, I don't know about you, but my the way I took it through history books or was told or taught or something was Lenin was a Marxist, but not evil. He died, unfortunately. Then Stalin was an evil murderer and ruined the whole Marxist thing. And a bunch of people came out yesterday on the 100th anniversary of Lenin's death to make it clear, because it is clear, that is not the case. Oh, no. And it's it's
0: amply, I mean, undeniably illustrated by Lenin's own writings and speech. That is that is the function of the large cadre of, of communists and near communists in the American government and educational system in the middle part of the 20th century. Uh, there were people who were committed to the idea in the 50s, especially that communism works better. We need to take a serious look at that, and there are a hell of a lot of them in the State Department and the media. We've plowed this ground before, but it's a good, rich soil, so let's hit it one more time. The McCarthy era was the excesses of an egomaniac ass. He wasn't wrong about there being a lot of communists in the government, specifically the State Department and the media. That was absolutely correct. He was just a grandstanding boob. And he was also, and this is one of the reasons I have a a visceral dislike of grandstanding boobs. Because they give cover to the people who are really in favor of of what we're trying to fight against uh, with a little less grandstanding in Boobery, if you know what i mean. Heat Boobery. In other words, uh, uh, Joseph McCarthy gave cover to communists. The so-called communist witch hunts. They were not hunting for witches. They were hunting for communists, and there are a hell of a lot of them. Anyway, I thought that his excesses gave them cover. Anyway, uh, back to Lenin. So the... Uh, John uh, Lennon? Uh, <sighs> Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, Donny. <laughs> so the Youth Communist League, who really should feel free to just die, please, all of you, stop breathing, if at all possible, and and go away. Choke on anyway, something. They uh, they tweeted. Uh, I guess it was two days ago. Um. Today, on the centenary of his death, we fondly remember Vladimir Lenin, the founder of the first socialist nation, leader of the Bolshevik Party, and architect of the October Revolution. I actually think they're right on all counts, and I would like to let that stand. This was the guy who, who came up with the idea of socialism-communism, uh, the 20th century version of it, and, and implemented it. And... Well, I don't want to steal my own thunder, but what I'm about to read you is not like an outlier at all. This is a message from Lenin to a, a number of uh, powerful communists across the Soviet Union. Send this to Penza, to comrades Koreev, Bosch, Minking, and other Penza communists. Uh, first of all, do you know who the kulaks were? Essentially the middle class, the farmers, um, the reasonably successful people in, uh, in, in Russia. Uh, merchants, that sort of thing. Um, And and they were seen as the enemy of of socialism and communism because they they would resist it. Um, And so Lenin wrote this. Comrades, the revolt by the five Kulak regions must be suppressed without mercy. The interest of the entire revolution demands this because we now have before us our final decisive battle with the Kulaks. We need to set an example. You need to hang. Hang without fail and do it so that the public sees at least 100 notorious Kulaks, the rich and the bloodsuckers, publish their names, take away all of their grain, execute the hostages in accordance with yesterday's telegram. This needs to be accomplished in such a way that people for hundreds of miles around will see, tremble, and know, and scream out, let's choke and strangle those blood-sucking kulaks, telegraph us, acknowledging receipt and execution of these instructions.
3: Known as the kulak letter, I think it came out after the fall of the Soviet Union, but that is kind of what changed what I was talking about earlier, the view of, no, Lenin was just a Marxist to, to Stalin that ruined it. Nah.
0: Well, and the interesting evolution from Marx to, to Lenin and then Stalin is the solidification of the idea that, okay, this workers' paradise that we've come up with, the workers are too stupid to get on board. So we need to kill them or beat them or force them to get on board for their own good. It was an utterly brutal philosophy that was not a rallying of all the hardworking factory workers because the factory workers then and as now were like, yeah, I'm working hard. I'm getting ahead. I'm up for being foreman uh, like maybe next month. So, So these ideologues said we're going to kill, torture, hang people into supporting us for their own good.
3: Yeah, that's, that's Lennon. It, that's a, it, I, I find that, I've, I don't know how many times I've heard that or read that, and I find it highly troubling every single time. I was in St. Petersburg at the White Palace, it was at the time, the balcony where Lennon stood and r- r- rallied the crowd when he first took over.
0: Wait a minute, you went to Russia and you ate at the White Castle?
3: <laughs> I ate at White Castle. Oh my God. And I just find that <laughs> shilling that you can whip up a crowd to be excited about this sort of thing.
0: If you, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it is horrifying to any, you know, living soul. But if you look at Nazi Germany, you look at uh, Hamas on October 7th, uh, it's it's not hard to rally people to commit unspeakable acts against the perceived enemy. It's easy. It might be the easiest thing. To get human beings to, to behave utterly without, um, without conscience. You know, my final comment will be uh, a, a quote I love so much by one of my favorite authors. I keep it here in the studio from Aldous Huxley. The surest way to work up a crusade in favor of some good cause is to promise people that they will have a chance of maltreating someone. To be able to destroy with good conscience. To be able to behave badly. And call your bad behavior righteous indignation. This is the height of psychological luxury. The most delicious of moral treats.
3: Well, that's something. Which
0: is why I like dogs better than humans.
3: Uh, I know who Trump's uh, vice presidential running mate is going to be. The Veepstakes. In fact, matters Do to anybody. you.
0: You know, I, I care just enough to be curious, but barely. <laughs> <laughs> How so, confident are you, sir?
3: Wow. So my my radio tees didn't even keep the co-host <laughs> around. <laughs>
0: contemplating popping in a Taylor Swift CD. Uh, What's your level of confidence in this uh,
3: prediction? Uh, I don't know. It's Mark Halperin's idea, but he put it Ah. out to a bunch of people over the weekend, and I could definitely see it happening. Plus, I got another uh, story from taking my kids to the uh, Packers 49ers playoff game uh, that I want to throw in, among other things. Stay with us.
1: Sanders Carlson, 41-yard try for him. Carlson, no!
3: Wide left and a big miss for the young kicker. So that's when the Packers missed a field goal. 49ers went on to win that playoff game and are going to the NFC Championship. And I was there and it was so freaking loud in there. And um, uh, me and my kids, our phone, our watches kept going off that it was, you know, dangerous decibel level. Get away. Ah. <laughs> and I don't know how loud it was actually in there. I'm sure they exaggerate this, but they put it up on the, the screen that it was 125 decibels there on that last drive. I don't know how loud it actually was, but it was deafening. I mean, you could yell at the person next to you and they couldn't hear you. It was just deafening in there. And 125 decibels is the equivalent of a jet taking off from a runway at close range or a gunshot near the ear. Prolonged exposure to this level of noise can cause permanent hearing damage. I'm surprised we haven't reached a point with stadiums where they worry about that, where there's not some class action lawsuit or something. I'm not advocating that. I don't want that. I'm just surprised. In our modern Ugh. world of suing people. Because everybody keeps trying to set the record. The Kansas City Chiefs have the record currently for football stadiums. Um, uh, for basketball, I think it's the Kansas Jayhawks. I don't know why they're all so loud there in that very area of the, the country. but um, Good, hearty, farm-fed
0: lungs that cling in Kansas' air.
3: But at some point, you got to wear your protection, don't you?
0: Well, somewhere listening is some scumbag lawyer who has just uh, heard his ticket to wealth. First of all, scumbag, thank you for listening. Uh, Secondly, (laughs) please don't.
3: my uh, son my oldest son, so my youngest son is a uh, he's a very um, uh, outgoing exuberant sort of person and he was dancing around the whole game and cheering like crazy and yelling like crazy and I mean when they do defense he's defense as loud as he can and all that that's just the way he is and he danced mm-hmm. around enough to get on the jumbotron now my teenager has to seem you know not affected by everything because that's just part of the whole teenager thing but his favorite part was the fact that 90s hip-hop group, uh, who sang OPP? Naughty, Donny by Nature. Naughty mm. by Nature was right behind us at halftime and was singing uh, "Down with OPP." And he was just thrilled that some famous hip hop group was singing right behind him. He just that was the highlight of his his whole dealio. I, I,
0: I was gonna say was Naughty by Nature behind you selling hot
3: dogs, <laughs> no, or? They, were, they were singing their song. Uh, excellent! Wow. What is? That? How did they even? make the sound systems in a giant outdoor football stadium as loud as they are what is the wattage on those things what did the bass speakers look like so as Sam said the stadium is shaking I can feel the bass shaking into my feet how loud does this have to be stunning yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, I, as a guy who's lived his life in audio between work and, and, and fun with music, I would love to talk to somebody who's the, the chief yeah. sound engineer for a stadium like that about the system and how it works and how they sync everything and the amplification. Oh, and yeah. I can't even imagine.
3: I would take a tour of that. Show me the amplifiers and what the woofers look like in a giant, giant outdoor building to get that much bass. It's just stunning.
0: Yeah, yeah, amazing.
3: Of course, the best thing that happened the whole weekend football-wise was Travis Kelsey's brother, shirtless, drinking bush light, (laughs) screaming and yelling (laughs) like a madman next to the perfect Prissy Taylor Swift. (laughs) That was so awesome. God, I love that.
0: Boy, yeah. I wonder what she thought of that. (sighs) Well, she's an Oklahoma girl. So she now may be the prettiest billionaire uh, uh, on the songs, uh, or, you know, the Champs-Élysées in Paris, Um, but come on now. She's still Oklahoma at heart.
3: So, uh, a lot of people hate it when they cut away to Taylor Swift during the Chiefs games. I just... Do you you have to do the every time your boyfriend makes a catch, you have to do the hug everybody and throw back your every catch? I mean, really? It's not like it's a goal in soccer. That happens, you know, once every three hours. You make a routine <laughs> catch. You don't have to act like it's the most amazing thing that's ever happened in your life. Do you? Yeah. I uh, Yeah.
0: I don't know what that's all about. It's like watching a different tribe with different customs and, and traditional dances and that sort of thing. I don't know. I don't of
3: course, she does that. that for every award she gets. Here's your 900th music award. Oh, my God. My boyfriend caught the football. Oh, my God. It's just All right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so are, uh, here uh, you're you're edging towards to, uh, cl- close to an allegation of of phoniness. Well,
3: that's why I liked so much behind her the couldn't be less phony shirtless fat guy drinking Bush light. <laughs> right, right. I mean that's real, man. That is yeah. real utterly authentic (laughs) what explains speaking of authentic what explains the trump phenomenon he is about to roll to the nomination the way nobody ever has explained pretty well by peggy Noonan in the wall street journal this is good stuff if you miss the segment get the podcast armstrong and getty
1: on demand
2: The Armstrong and
1: Getty Show. Well, you know, I endorsed him. I didn't know him as well as you might think, but I did endorse him, and I had some uh, fun with it because I watched somebody who was not in the race, and all of a sudden he was in the race, and then he did a good job as governor. Mm-hmm. So I was happy with that. But I was disappointed when uh, they asked him whether or not he'd run. And he said, I have no comment. Because to me, when you say no comment, that means you're running. Mm -hmm. And uh, we took it, uh, I think I took it quite seriously. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter now because he uh, got out. Uh, So that's water under the bridge now. Totally. As far as I'm concerned, look, he endorsed me.
3: You know, Mm -hmm. he endorsed me. Yep. DeSantis endorsed Trump yesterday. Got out of the race and endorsed Trump, as did a former... Competitor Tim Scott over the weekend, though Tim Scott was appointed U.S. Senator by Nikki Haley and wouldn't have ever been a U.S. Senator probably if that hadn't happened, he endorsed Trump, not
0: Haley. And I think it's notable that DeSantis in getting out took a real swipe at Nikki Haley. Too. Right. He didn't merely endorse Trump. He had to throw a bit of an elbow toward the uh, diminutive Mrs. H.
3: There are two polls out today, two big polls out today. One has Trump up in New Hampshire by 20 The other one has him up by 18. So whatever outlier poll had it close a while back, it was either an outlier or that was a blip in time or something, and Trump is going to roll tomorrow. So um, I jumped on a Zoom call yesterday with a bunch of heavyweights in the political world after DeSantis quit, because I just wanted to see what they had to say. And one guy, I don't remember his name, but he brought up, he was a guy who... um, he worked in the uh, 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 Jeb campaign, Jeb campaign. and then when Jeb flamed out, he got involved in the one of the other campaigns running against Trump. He said, "You know, I've been trying to figure this out for years. What is what is the Trump thing? What is it? What is this movement? What is this? It's stronger now than it was in 2015? Clearly. It is stronger now than it ever was when he got elected the first time around. And what is it? And he said, Peggy Noonan nailed it the other day in the Wall Street Journal. And I thought, okay, I missed that. I have to look into that. So I did. And a little setup to that Peggy Noonan explaining what the whole Trump thing is, because I've wondered, and we've conjectured about it a lot, but it's not as clearly defined as a lot of political movements have been over the years.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It, it, it's difficult to identify the three guiding principles.
3: Right. Well, he, here it is, I think. So, a couple of setup. Articles that I came across uh, various places. The EV backlash builds in the Wall Street Journal. How people just don't... Most people don't want electric cars. And they hate the fact that they're being shoved down their throats. Or they go to the rental place and they're told they have to rent an electric car. Or if you build a new house, you have to have solar. All this green energy stuff being forced upon you. And you're paying for it as like a lower or middle class person. So the richer people can afford to do it. That sort of thing. Um... The fact that Anthony Fauci has now admitted that all that stuff was more or less random and uh, there wasn't any science to back up, shutting down your business, shutting down the school, making restaurants be half fully six feet apart, all that sort of stuff that was forced upon you
0: well and enforced at the point of losing your career your livelihood your your kids being in school uh, etc yeah I, I could, uh, enforced with some brutality
3: i could come up with a bunch of examples we could do trans sports we could do pronouns we could do we could do all kinds of different things but this is what peggy noonan wrote in her column this isn't only a trump election the non-elite feel more alienated than ever even invaded and they'll be looking for better options Uh, She goes through some of the examples I just used and goes on. Something else that I think has changed is in America since 2020. Well, something I haven't fully thought through, but I think the unprotected at this point do not only feel ignored and betrayed, they feel invaded. 2020, that epic nation-changing year tripped something off, began something new, a sense among regular people that some new ideology that doesn't even have a name had entered their lives on all levels in their intimate family and workspace. The pandemic with its protocols and regulations and vaccine mandates, the strange things taught in schools which were suddenly brought into your home by Zoom, the obsessions with gender and race, The redefinitions of the founding and meaning of America. Of course, the 1619 Project and all that sort of stuff. At the office, the stupid and insulting race and gender instructions. And the index that you have to meet when hiring to achieve what someone has decided is a right diversity balance for your job. Well, think- and just to just
0: to jump in very, very briefly, the stuff that you're hearing about being taught in schools and the, the gender stuff and all. Remember, often that was brought into your home by your angry, adamant child right. to your very dinner table, tearing the
3: family apart. That's not politics. That's life. I think people feel invaded by the ideology with no name. They know it's unhealthy for society, is in fact guaranteed to make us as a people who must live together, weaker and more divided. We are not sufficiently noting that this isn't only a Trump election. It's also the first national election since the full impact of 2020, and its epochal changes sank in. I agree completely. All of this stuff that makes you feel like, what is going on? How did all this happen so fast? How am I on the wrong side of it? I haven't done anything. All of that. And it, how did it go from, I've never heard of this, to
0: you don't dare dissent or we will crush you?
3: Right. Right. You're not even you're not even supposed to say out loud, I don't like this stuff you're teaching my kid in school, or I don't want to put pronouns in my email, or I don't want to drive an electric car, or whatever one of these you pick. How did this happen?
0: Well, and as I mentioned earlier, if you came to me with something I agree with and then threw in and uh, anybody who dares uh, disagree with this, we're going to crush you. As an American, I would resent the hell out of that. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. That did, No, you don't get to come in with one idea that everybody must swallow under pain of whatever punishment you have in, in mind. No, we, we we go ahead and we trade ideas around around here that's how it works so yeah I mean between the foreignness of it the perversion of a lot of it to a lot of people's minds uh, and the utterly uh, uh you know it's mandatory nature of these brand new weird things yeah it's it's bred oceans of resentment
3: right and then we mentioned this on Friday and it should have gotten more news I don't it's not surprising that dominant media doesn't want to get this story out. Former Attorney General Barr, who served under Trump, who has said the worst things you could say about a president in interviews and in books, says he will vote for the Republican nominee, even if it's Trump, because he believes the institutions in this country can handle Trump, and a bigger threat to this country is all of that stuff we're just talking about that the Democratic Party is going to try to put on you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can
3: you believe that after he's talked about Trump being selfish, you know, half crazy, all these different things he said about him, I'd still vote for Trump over more of whatever the Democratic Party is going to do to us. Uh, Yeah, I would agree. I would absolutely agree. There's a lot of people in that chunk that are going to sway the election.
0: Yeah, and it's not without nervousness that I say that, but again, binary choice. It's not hard. Way more of this stuff or the guy who says, I'm against this stuff, even if he's not... Uh, He's not even nearly, uh, like, in the top tier of capable people for describing it and analyzing it, telling you why it's wrong and how we're going to attack it. But he has the energy and the instinctive dislike of it that people are looking for. And I think he's sincere, honestly, in that.
3: Okay, so I can't believe we haven't gotten this on already. So one of the arguments Nikki Haley's making out there is, uh, if you vote for Joe Biden, you're, you're voting for Kamala Harris because there's no way he can s- s- make it through a whole term. That's well, that's a, true. That's absolutely true, isn't it? I mean, yeah. people said that in 20, but it is definitely true now. Anyway, so no, it has Kam- to involve our institutions. Kamala Harris was getting interviewed yesterday on ABC this week. And uh, this woman, Mary Bruce, asked Kamala a question, and Kamala answered it, and I thought, what? I must have spaced out. So I rewound it and watched it again, and I thought, am I wrong, or does that not make any <laughs> sense? So I watched, Did I space off halfway through that? I was really tired from going to the football game on Saturday and uh, everything. I thought, I'm going to watch it a third time. You tell me if this makes sense or not. So they played a clip of Trump and all these different things. And they asked Kamala Harris why they're not going after Trump on his legal problems and stuff. This this is the way it played out.
2: Why not go out and attack Donald Trump? Go after his legal challenges. What are you guys waiting for? Well, let me just tell you something. I am of the school that you either run without an opponent or you run scared. <laughs> I have learned that to be a fact, and that is the way that I feel about any election. So absolutely not. You can't take anything for granted. And we have a duty, a responsibility to earn this reelect.
3: What? Am I wrong, or did that not make any sense whatsoever? Oh no, it came off the rails in the first phrase, the first sentence. Yeah, play, play, yeah, play the short version of that, uh, Michael Fifty One.
2: I am of the school that you either run without an opponent or you run scared. (laughs) I have learned that to be a fact, and that is the way that I feel about any election. So absolutely not. You can't take anything for granted, and we have a duty and responsibility to earn. That's good. You can't
3: take anything for granted, and that's why you're not attacking Trump on his court proceedings. That was utterly
0: incoherent. She it was is, so mystifying as to... It's difficult how to approach criticizing.
3: I, I know! <laughs> so there's the whole, you know, Biden's, you know, thinking people are still alive or whatever, and there's one on Trump we got to play later because Trump had one of those last week that's getting a lot of attention on the left you need to know about. It. But the that's one thing, like you're old and your your brain, you're forgetting things. She's yeah. almost more troubling in that her brain works. It just works so weirdly. I mean, she... she <laughs> Her reaction to <coughs> questions is so strange. And then she does that laugh, like, but I just hit you with one, didn't I? Here, I, the, here I've i always thought you either... Whatever she said, you run against nobody or you run on a pose. You <laughs> either run without an
0: opponent or you run scared.
3: <laughs> and that's why I take every election... But the question
0: and was... And you've got to earn your re-elect. What, what there, there was hardly three words in a row of any of that that made any sense.
3: She is so strange the way she thinks. She's an idiot. <laughs> you think that's it?
0: Oh, yeah. I think she's a dope. I, I rejected that notion for a long time. I knew, I know people who worked with her for an f- extended period of time who said, Joe, she's an idiot, and I didn't believe
3: them. Now I do. I think she's got some sort of processing disorder. Uh, I, that, that could be. I'm less
0: concerned with the particulars of her malady than the <laughs> importance of keeping her out of
3: office. <laughs> <laughs> what a dope. What would you like for breakfast, Mrs. Harris? Electric cars are the future. I mean, does she do that all day long? But it wouldn't be that coherent. It would be electric
0: cars are, I think, of the school of aspiration that we need to focus on, and that is every day.
3: (laughs) So what, an egg? (laughs) (laughs) And then you laugh like you just laid it down. Right, right. You just dropped the mic. (laughs) (laughs) The hell are you talking about? And the reporter, I can tell by the look on her face, was like, Well, it was like when I heard it the first time, like, did I miss it? Was I, did I space out? So if you were as a reporter, Mary Bruce, I guess that was, if you
0: were to say, I have no idea what you mean by that, I did not follow that at all. Would you like lose access to them or, or do you figure, well, we'll let the viewer decide that for
3: themselves. It would take a lot of confidence to think you didn't just miss here because it couldn't be that yeah uh,
0: it's very important when you're interviewing someone to listen carefully that's what a good interviewer does but no matter how good you are you are in the back of your mind contemplating your next question and so yeah i'll bet mary bruce thought yeah i must have like spaced out in the middle or something because uh anyway uh, <laughs> what about the second gentleman is he enjoying his time just so you just move on
3: <laughs> just the question in the first part of the answer one more time the 50 there michael
2: why not go out and attack Donald Trump? Go after his legal challenges. What are you guys waiting for? Well, let me just tell you something. I am of the school that you either run without an opponent or you run scared.
0: <laughs> I have I no were- idea what no, that means. No, no. What- oh, my God. What the hell
3: does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.
2: <laughs> I, don't I know. love that clip. <laughs> if you know what that
3: means, let us know. Uh, more on the way.
2: Armstrong. Strong and Getty
3: show. I do want to talk a little bit about the economy, thinking about it having gone to that playoff game on uh, Saturday, but maybe hour four for that.
0: Yeah, to continue on the discussion uh, sparked by Peggy Noonan's description of the Trump phenomenon, a lot of the things we talk about. uh, And it
3: is a phenomenon. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's going to win over 50% probably in New Hampshire tomorrow. Nobody's ever done this, ever. I think so. And it, for the reasons we've been
0: discussing, if you missed it, grab the podcast. But uh, we also mentioned the in and out Burger closing in Oakland, uh, been there 20 years, still very profitable. It's just so dangerous. They can't in good conscience uh, operate it anymore. There's so much crime. Uh, Daily Mail talking about the most dangerous uh, square mile in America. Around the Oakland airport, uh, smash and grabs, robberies, muggings, break-ins, just rampant. And the cops, they interview several cops who say things like, it's sad. This city is falling apart. And if you ask the community, is the city getting worse? Their answer will be yes. Just like San Francisco downtown, stores are closing. The common denominator for it is the rising crime. All the leaders in the city are allowing this to happen by making policies that restrict the police doing their work. And they go into a great deal of detail about how incredibly lawless it is. And it's it's shocking. And it it reminds me of something uh, Barton Swaim wrote that I think is absolutely brilliant. We barely have time to cram it in, but it fits so well with what we've been talking about. And he he starts with talking about the anti-Semitism on campuses, the founder and college professors, um, a bit of the history of it, past eruptions of anti-Semitism usually arose from the need to blame someone. And he talks about Russia and the protocols of the elders of Zion and... That garbage talks about Palestinian Arabs who who've uh, carried out murderous pogroms on Jews long before 1948 because the Jews are so easy to blame few in number racially and culturally distinct highly industrious and successful Um, an easy and obvious target. Uh, and, but then he, he gets into a really interesting segue that I thought was brilliant. And he talks about the motivation driving today's Jew haters bears some resemblance to earlier episodes of anti Semitism. Elite American society has failed in the one aim it gave definition for more than a half century the realization of racial equality. Here's where the rubber meets the road. He says the trouble started in the mid 70s when the reality became clear that the liberal answer to racial inequality, the modern welfare state inaugurated by the great society, was not working. With each passing decade since, black economic improvement has stalled. As Stephen and Abigail Thurnstrom made clear in their book, America in Black and White, came out in the end of the 80s, the black poverty rate declined dramatically from 1940 to 1960, pre-Civil Rights uh, Act. Less dramatically, but still significantly from 1960 to 1970, and then hardly at all after 1970. After all these programs got started, yet decade after decade, the prescription from right thinking liberals, elected Democrats, social welfare agency heads, academic experts in urban studies, liberal intellectuals, entertainment industry, glitterati remains the same. Double down on 60s style social welfare policy, liberalize crime laws, vilify whites other than themselves. And that's what all of this is about. That model of of elevating black America has failed so miserably. They've had to go with this systemic racism, unconscious bias, microaggression stuff. They're still desperate to blame the political right. Interesting. More on that to come. Much more.